You know, it's one of one of my favorite times, frankly, um, is this prayer time. And just the sharing of requests, sure, but then more importantly, the gathering up and circling together and just praying and going for it. And frankly, seeing people that don't even know each other or maybe here for the first time, all of a sudden they're circled up together and praying and going before God and just saying, this is what is going on in my life. This is what is on our hearts. This is what we want to see happen. And it's Hebrews 10. It's, it's because of the blood of Jesus, we can boldly enter the throne room with confidence and pour out a request to a father who's so good, who hears us, who knows us, who sees us, who loves us, and wants to pour out his gifts, gifts on, on us as kids. And so I never want to lose sight of this opportunity just to, to link arms and pray together. But then also what happens and the connections that happen outside of this place, because this is just a, an hour and a half or so on a Sunday, a couple hours on a Sunday. But then the connections that take place and hearing people walking with one another and calling each other and texting each other and encouraging each other throughout the week. It is just absolutely amazing. Um, the church truly has nothing to do with the building. It has everything to do with the people, the body of Christ. Seeking the head of Jesus together. And so the fact that we can pray for Jeremy and know that God hears and God sees. We prayed for him before. We're going to continue to pray. You know, for Eli, for so many others. It's just so awesome that we get, we get to link arms and do this. Uh, never want to lose sight of this. Um, I want to thank John, too, for coming. Um, if you don't know John, John and his wife, Jasmine. And his son, Roland, is where... With Grandpa, with Grandpa Barry. So that's, uh, uh, if you don't know, that's uh, John is Barry's son, and uh, Jasmine's daughter-in-law, and little grandson, Roland. So good that they're here, and I've known John for a long, long time, even before facial hair. So before he could ever grow just one whisker, um, I knew John. So that's about when he was five or so, before he started to grow a beard. Yeah. Um, I want to throw this question uh, to you, and I want to talk from Acts 6. And, and this is what I'm just going to rail on the dad, because that's what Father's Day is all about. You know, that's what I love. I'm just kidding. Um, I want to look at Acts 6 in a little bit and, and challenge us, challenge all of us. But I want to ask this question. Who would you say, and there's no Sunday school answers, okay? So we know the answer is always Jesus. It's always the right answer, but I don't want Sunday school answers, okay? Okay, Carlos? All right. Who would you say is the greatest leader that you have known or heard about? Throw names, like greatest leader. Stumped you. All right, we'll go home now. Hitler? Okay, he led, gathered people, and for uh, a movement that was filled with evil and hatred and everything wrong. <laughs> I can't use enough words to, you know, describe that. But yeah, a, a leader, got people to follow. Yep, yep. Others. Trump. Trump, okay. Some people would say Trump. There you go. That's one, yep. Churchill, okay. Winston Churchill, yep. Lincoln, yep. It's a powerful one. Moses. That's kind of a Sunday school answer, Carl. Let's try again, bud. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good answer. You know, here's somebody who was filled with uh, fault and, and like, like struggled in his own confidence and, and still, you know, sometimes sheepishly uh, followed the Lord and, and did what uh, he asked him to do. Yeah, Ed. Oh, wait a second, Ed, up here. Then I'll go to you, John. For me, it's Mother Teresa. She yep. emptied herself of herself and she lived for others. Yep, emptied herself of herself and for others. Huge. Mother Teresa, definitely. I was going to say Billy Graham. Billy Graham, okay. 
Yeah, definitely. Washington. Washington. Zane's got an answer. Guy? Yep. <laughs> yep, Sunday school answer. Good job, Cassius kid. <laughs> Nancy, you got one? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what makes a leader a good leader? Ed talked about that a little bit. Emptying of oneself, serving. Well, Mother Teresa. Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be a servant to all. That's right. And Mother Teresa did that. Yep, yep. Jesus said, I haven't come to serve, but to serve. To serve, right on. Others, what attributes makes a good leader? Strategic. Strategic. Wisdom, okay. Trust. Compelling vision, trust. Compelling vision and trust, two things. Others. Saying you had another Sunday school answer? <laughs> Integrity. Integrity? It's huge. Good listener. Good listener. I was going to say what at that time, but that's a bad joke. <laughs> so I want us to look at, at Acts 6. And we've been going through um, the book of Acts and frankly talking about what should look like, uh, what should be normal for us as followers of Jesus. And we get to Acts chapter 6, and I just think it's interesting on Father's Day to look at Acts chapter 6. Because here in Acts chapter 6, in so many different places in Scripture, we get a little glimpse into the life of the church. And, and what made them tick, and how they approached problems and situations. And, and frankly, in Acts 6, how they raised up leaders to take care of a situation that, that, that they came across. So let's look at Acts chapter 6, and if you have Bibles, we're going to start reading in uh, verse 1, verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. It said, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, and I love that. It, it says in other versions, it says that they were increasing in numbers by leaps and bounds. Believers were rapidly multiplying. And you see that all the way throughout Scripture. Like all of a sudden, just more and more believers were being added. And I love it. That should be normal for us. That should be our expectation that, that people, many people are coming to know Jesus. And that means that we're sharing the gospel. We're telling people about the hope that we found in Jesus. But then it says this after a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so just a couple chapters in. There's been some other issues, but all of a sudden we see another issue. And the issue is here that the Hellenists, they were Greek-speaking Jews, people that had become believers in Jesus, that were of the Greek culture and not the Hebrew culture. Their widows were being neglected to be cared for. And it doesn't mean that like all the widows were being neglected. These specific widows were being neglected. And so even in this growing church, there were different groups of people. And they weren't doing it uh, willingly. They weren't doing it like purposefully. But there was a group that was being neglected. A group that was being ignored. And I always think like, you know, it, it, there's always going to be situations that arise in a church. There will always be um, complaints. There will always be... Uh, disagreements, there will always be like difficulties that arise. And every time there's a difficulty, every time there's a situation, there is such an opportunity for growth. There's such an opportunity to grow uh, in maturity, in relationships. And here we're going to see like that the church actually grew uh, in the midst of this situation, in the midst of this difficulty. Because the, the care of the widows 
was a very important thing. You, you can look all the way through the Old Testament, and they took the care of widows very seriously. And so for this to be happening was a very serious issue. Because these widows would have moved to Jerusalem uh, without family, because they were of a different culture. They wouldn't have had family to take care of them. And so they were coming into the church saying, hey, we're going to be taken care of, and no one is taking care of us. And so this was a big issue for the church to address. Verse 2, and this is how they address it. It said, in the 12th, summon the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nicanor, and Tim, and Parm, and Nick, and proselyte of Antioch, and they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I just think this is such an interesting time in the life of the church, because the apostles, up until this chapter, it was like the apostles' show. They would go in and they would pray for people and they would they were arrested and miracles were happening. People were bringing uh, their sick to Peter and just hoping that his handkerchief, his, some cloth would fall on them or a shadow would pass by. And up until now, you don't hear many people's names except the 12 apostles. And here's what stands out to me as we get to this chapter. All of a sudden they realized they couldn't do it all on their own. They had to share in this responsibility. They had to raise up people. And so you see these names that were raised up. New leaders emerging. And they were identifying these people who had a good reputation. Men who were, who were full of the spirit. Who could be trusted. Who had a proven track record. And they were given real responsibility. They were saying, alright, here's the issue that we want you to take care of. And we don't see like exactly how they took care of it. They were just given this responsibility. Empowered to say, you know what? Figure this out. And when I look at this section of scripture and what happened in the early church, one thing just screams out to me. And it's the importance of raising up new leaders. The importance of raising up people. This is what is needed, like to raise up people, new leaders to serve in the church, to, to use their gifts in different ways. You know, one of the things a couple of months ago that somebody joked, um, his name is Josiah Smith. Oh, when we were talking about the name of the church. And Josiah was like, we should call it the Church of Dave. And I think it was the Sunday when I led a worship with Michelle and Noah, and because we couldn't find a worship leader, and I taught. And I was like, just the Church of Dave. And I'm teasing you, because I know that's not what you, you know, you were just joking. But I'm like, that is not what the church should look like. And you know what, that's not my heart. My heart is to, to, for this to be a community thing, a body thing, for many people to be using their gifts to raise up and release new leaders. And that's when it comes to like doing this, us who have been, walked with the Lord for a long time, we constantly have to be asking, who are we raising up? You know, there are some people who have walked with Jesus for many, many years. And I would challenge you, who are you discipling? Who are you investing in? Who are you pouring into? And I, I thought about saying like older, poor into the younger, but frankly, there have been people who, have, who are still young 
in age, but have walked with Jesus for a long time. And I think it is your responsibility and your job to pour into other people and to raise up new leaders. But for those who are being invested in, too, we also have to be good uh, people to be invested in and asking questions and listening and not thinking that we know everything. And so we want to be a place where we are raising up leaders because here are these, these seven men who were raised up into leadership. And so who are you raising up? Who are you investing in? I remember, I'm going to pick on John Newman over here for a little bit. I remember meeting John when he was a freshman, freshman in high school, and loved to play the guitar, loved Metallica, and he just would plug his, his guitar into the amp and just, and just start going on the guitar. And people invested in him, a mutual friend by the name of Joe invested in John and poured into John. And over the years, all of a sudden, John's like, hey, maybe I go from doing da 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 and playing Metallica to leading worship because I love Jesus. And it started to do that, and more people invested in him. And I think that is a picture of what the church should be about. And I look around, and you guys are doing that. You're investing in people. You're raising up your own kids to follow Jesus. You're pouring into their lives. I look at Ed, and I'm going to pick out, out Ed. I'm sorry you don't like doing this, but you know what? It's God working through you. You're going around and you're speaking truth into people's lives and you're investing in them. This is what the church needs to be about, raising up new people and speaking identity into them and saying, you know what? I see this leadership in you. But what's also interesting is the qualities that they were looking for, people who are full of the spirit, a good reputation, someone that they could trust. And what's interesting is they didn't raise up leaders and hope that they would develop these qualities. They saw that they were already living it out, and they said, you know what? You're a leader. We're going to put you in this position. And sometimes I worry in the church that we raise up people that don't demonstrate those qualities, don't have a proven track record, and are like, oh, we hope that they could get into that. We hope that they develop these leadership qualities. But here the church saw that people had these gifts. And so we need to be calling out those gifts in people. We need to be calling out the things that we see in people and raising up new people. And one of the individuals was, by, was a man named Stephen. And I always think that he's very interesting. And I want to highlight two things that I see in his life that I want to challenge us with. Look at verse 8, because we hear about all these people, but then we really focus on Stephen. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians and of the Alexandrians and of those of another place rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witness who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that, the face of an angel. Here's Stephen. And one of the things that I absolutely see is this gets to the, really the heart of what we need to be focused on as people, as followers of Jesus gets to the heart of a leader, frankly, and it's this question of, of what are we desperate for? Because they, they looked for people who were men who were full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. 
And what does that mean to us? It means that the people who are full of the Spirit, people who were, were desperate for the Spirit to be at work in their lives and through their lives. See, the thing is with every leader, and all of you are leaders because if you're even investing in one person, you're a leader. At the end of the day, every leader knows that he or she must be led. That they are not the ultimate leader. And that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's like, I need to be completely immersed in the Spirit. Completely desperate for the Spirit to work in every situation. I love David, King David, back in, in Psalm 27. We get a, a peek into his heart. David, who ruled over Israel, was a, a powerful man of God. Made some mistakes. He had, though, things like available to him. He had money and, and possessions and all of this. When we get to see his heart, David's heart in Psalm 27, he's cried out to the Lord. Look at these verses in Psalm 27. So David says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid of? And then fast forward to verse 4. One thing that I ask for the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And in verse 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And then verse 11, teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. David knew that he needed to be led. David was in charge of thousands but he knew that, that he needed to seek the Lord with all of his might and say, Jesus, your God, you need to lead me. You need to direct me. This was true of Jesus. Jesus, when he came, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what is my Father's will. And so he would go off and he'd pray and say, I just want to know what the Father wants me to do. As people in this room who are leaders who are investing in people, we need to be desperate for the Holy Spirit. We need to know that we ourselves need to be led. Throughout Scripture, we are compared to sheep. And what do you know about sheep? They're kind of cute. They're dumb. They need to be led. God is saying, you need to be led. We need to be led. When it comes to like my leadership, and I think of my life, I don't want my leadership and who I am to be limited. I have a mind, God's given me a mind, I have abilities, but every single day, I need to be desperate for the Spirit's leading. I need to be desperate for the Lord because I know that His ways are so much greater than my ways. And so you and I need to be open for correction. We're told to, to love others. We're told to go in and love people, love our neighbors. But we need every day to be desperate for the Spirit to say, all right, it's that neighbor or it's this person, to be very specific. I need to be open to instruction. When we read this book, when we spend time with the Lord, we need to be asking the Holy Spirit, all right, lead me, show me exactly what this means. I don't want to take my own thoughts you know, into consideration. I don't want to think like, okay, I know what this means or whatever. God, I want you to reveal your truth to me. We need to be open for instruction, direction, instruction, and then also correction in our lives. We as people need to be led and desperate for the Holy Spirit. And that's why I love that in the early church in Acts 6, they're like, we want people to lead us who are full of the Spirit, who get this, who understand that they know that they need to be led. And so who is leading you? Who is leading you on a daily basis? Are you walking around in your life, driving your car, saying, God, I need to be, I need your wisdom, I need your direction. Are you desperate for the Spirit's leading in every circumstance of your life? I think we see the heart of a leader and frankly the heart of the Father of Jesus in this passage. Someone who is full of the Spirit, but also someone who understands the purpose of their life. And again, it's been said here, 
purpose of our life is very simply to serve, to lay down our lives. Stephen and the other uh, people that were raised up, the seven men, they were called to serve, to serve the widows. <laughs> and I think sometimes the apostles here get a little bit of bad rap because it comes across that they're unwilling to do the, the work. You look at verse 2 and it says, The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. This doesn't mean that they're unwilling to serve. No, it just means that they're serving over here and they can't do it all. And so they were raising up other people to serve. And so when it comes to our lives, your life and my life, our lives must be about laying it down. It's not about a stage. It's not about you know, some position. It's about serving. If you want to be great, if you want to like, be great in this life, Jesus is very clear. Serve. Serve. Lay down your life. Jesus in John 13 he gets his disciples together, and he washes their feet. He gets a towel, and he leads them in that way, and he washes their feet, their feet that would have walked on these dirty paths. There would have been dirt in between their toes, and he, he gets down, and he washes their feet. And what does he say to them? He looks at their, them in their eyes, and he says, As I have washed your feet, now go wash other people's feet. Go serve. And here we see in Acts 6, disciples are started to serve. Serving men, saying, speaking some bold things in front of some people. And I just want us in this room, on this Father's Day, frankly, to pursue greatness. The greatness the way that Jesus described it when he was talking to a group of people in Matthew 11. He was talking about the greatest person who has ever been born of a woman, John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, 11, he said this. He said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And if we stop there, we'd be like, wow, that's quite the description of John the Baptist. One who was sent to, to prepare the way of the Lord before the Lord went out in the wilderness and preached repentance. Like a, a, a tremendous man of God. But then Jesus says this after that. He says, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The one who is the least, who becomes last, who serves is greater than he. So I want to challenge all of us to, to become less in our lives. To think of ourselves less. To serve others. To wash others' feet. To not look at, to be served in our lives, but looking to see who we can serve and lay down our lives for. Because this is what greatness looks like. It's not self-seeking. It's seeking to serve others. Leadership is becoming the greatest servant. Men, in Ephesians 5... You probably have read this passage before. It says, if you're married, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. That's our call for men to be great, to lay it all down, to serve, and to frankly outdo one another in serving each other. One of the greatest leaders that I have ever known and ever had the privilege of working with is a guy by the name of John. And I came to the first day on the job. And anybody knows, like, the first day on the job is miserable. It's, like, so weird and awkward. You're like, where's the bathroom? How, where do you get coffee? All of that. I showed up, and, and it was the first day on the job. And him and I talked a little bit, and then I had to go to the bathroom. I know it's pretty personal now all of a sudden. Um, I go to the bathroom, and I'll just say this. The, the toilet got clogged. And that's embarrassing on the first day. 
Okay, and so I go. I'm just working with this one other guy, and and uh, he's like, "Oh, hey, no problem. I'll take care of it." And he went and got a plunger and got a bunch of other stuff and took care of it. And to me, that was a picture that I would see lived out over and over and over again in his life, and it continues to this day. He was willing to serve and lay down his life no matter what. He could have found somebody else to do it. He could have said, "Well, I'll just have the janitor do it or whoever." But he, frankly, took a towel and washed my feet and said, I'll take care of this, and served. That, to me, is leadership. That, to me, is greatness. That, to me, is something that I want to call all of us to in our lives. Living the life of a servant in every aspect. Laying it down. And in this self-seeking world, that is a different way of living. But why does this matter? Look at verse uh, 7 of chapter 6. I love that this picture is in there after they set up these seven men to take care of the widows. It says this in, in Acts 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I love that picture because when people are raised up and released, when people are operating in their area of giftedness, when people follow the Spirit's leading, when people serve, there's growth. The word of God continues to grow. Believers multiply. And when things are working well and things people are serving, that is the outcome. That is what we get to see. But also, I would say this specifically about Stephen's life. He was all about living a life of a legacy, following Jesus with his eyes fixed on Jesus. Because he got up in front of a group of people and he spoke some pretty harsh words to the point where they wanted to kill him and they eventually did kill him. But towards the end of Acts chapter 7, we see this amazing picture, this interaction between Stephen and Jesus. And look it up on the screen, verses 55 through 56. But he, speaking of Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I love that picture because it says that, that, that Stephen looked up into heaven and saw Jesus. And usually when we see Jesus in heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God, of God. But what is he doing here? He's standing. And I believe that Jesus was looking at Stephen and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And so as we're living our lives, the number one goal that we must have is not to please ourselves, but to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because Jesus says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done to me. And to live our lives for the glory, not of men or women, but for the glory of Jesus. And so what I want to do right now on this Father's Day, I have really felt in my life and felt like in lives here that, that sometimes men, fathers, don't feel like they're worthy enough, that they're good enough. They struggle with, with the, the task that they have been given. And so I want to encourage fathers and men today. And so I want to ask right now for the fathers to stand up. And what I want to do is, if you're around a father, put a hand on them. And I want us to pray that they would live this lifestyle of living a life full of the Spirit, living a life of service. But also that they would know the life that Jesus has, call, have called them, has called them to. That they would be encouraged in their souls today. That they would have a hunger for the Lord. And so God, I just want to pray for these men who are standing. 
God, I thank you for these men. I thank you for who they are. I thank you for their devotion first and foremost to you. God, and for those men who are standing today who, who may feel discouraged, may feel like they're not uh, enough for, for their kids and for their household. God, I pray against that lie in Jesus' name and I ask that you remove that uh, so far from them in their lives. God, I thank you that you have put them in their families and in their homes for a very specific reason. And you have given them these kids, blessed them with these homes. God, you've called them to be the dad to these specific kids. And so I pray that they would walk in a boldness, a boldness that doesn't come from their own ability, but a boldness that comes from following the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. And I thank you for these men who are standing. And I just think of so many stories of the ways that they lay down their lives and serve over and over and over again. And I ask Jesus that you continue to call them to greater depths of service, greater emptying of themselves. I thank you for these great men who are living this life of greatness and becoming less. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit today, fill them with a confidence that comes from knowing you, a confidence that comes from walking with you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for all that you poured out into our lives. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We'd love for all of us to stand with these guys and wrap up our time together singing just the song set aside and take a moment. Just because I want for all of us to have this, this, this fire set inside of our hearts, just a deeper hunger to know the Lord, to walk with the Lord, to be filled with the Spirit, to do the things that Jesus has asked us to do, to lay down our lives, not for our own glory, but for the glory of Jesus. So let's wrap up our time together singing Set a Fire and take a moment.